the two people that are here already. <laughs> all right. So welcome all. It is, is it Wednesday? It's Wednesday. Oh my God. It's Wednesday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And of course, there's been a gap in between our two shows that normally we don't have. One was an early afternoon show and this is a night show. So it kind of feels like three days, doesn't it? I know, but we can't do afternoon shows again. Like not really. It's not a good plan. It's not we, our thing. No, it's, it's, not, it's not my thing. thing. I, can, I don't Hi, know about Carla. if it's your thing, but it is not my thing. No, we only it threw off my whole day. I, like I, I, I can't even tell you. I felt I, like I was like, you know how infants get their day and night confused. I really felt like that. It was like a very weird 24 hours for me. I felt very weird. Well, I apologize for, for doing we that. Can't do that. We can't do that. did what we needed to do in order to have that amazing author that you want. Dr. Carl Hart. He was amazing. Yes. And the book was drug use for grownups. Guys, yes. it was very well written. He's very, very smart. He's a, a psycho neuropharmacologist. Oh, that's one hell of a mouthful. Yeah. And of course, Rob Sand. But that's what it is. Rob Sand, the only statewide elected official in the Democratic Party in the state of Iowa who got reelected and, of course, had a lot to say about why he was reelected. If you, we will have that interview up I soon. I liked so him. Definitely. Yeah. He, I got this whole Elliot Ness vibe from that guy. Oh, I can see that. Like he was just that guy. He looks like he could be at like a 30s throwback party with the hat oh, on. Oh, yeah. And stuff. all American, very apple pie, but, you know, just very reasonable and decent. And see, that is what that, that's why he got elected. That's why. Well, I'm sure we have a lot to talk about with our wonderful guests who are not going to keep waiting, but. We have to do a special introduction. For oh my him. God! Because he deserves I can't a special. Even with this. He deserves a special. And I know what you're going to special say. special introduction. He knows. <laughs> Got to get ready. <laughs> Got to get ready. Oh, it's your best friend. It pains me to say that the most terrible, terrible person <laughs> on the face of this planet who was totally <laughs> taking everything out on me in the state of Georgia, saying it's my fault. Girly Mike Fettuccini <laughs> has dared to grace this studio again. I don't know what you're seeing him. He's a really terrible person. He's he says, so really cute. No, though. he's really terrible. He totally doesn't understand anything. <laughs> we were making America great again. Again. Until that terrible, terrible Herschel Walker. <laughs> he had no idea what he was doing. He didn't he even ask your candidate. That's totally fake news. I, I just... <laughs> That's totally not true. I didn't do that. Oh, I'm so but thankful that Georgia pulled it, through today. Because I mean, it's like, me, excuse me, I'm talking. If it oh, wasn't for that God. terrible girly fettuccine Mikey, <laughs> Mikey, Mikey motorcycle, turn the key and watch him flee is what he's going to do. <laughs> but unfortunately, he has to come on the show tonight and tell everybody what a great person he is and what a terrible person I am. Don't believe him. He's totally wrong. You don't ever trust. He really does. Have, like you sound like I'd say about a nine-year-old boy. You sound like a nine-year-old boy. Yeah. I don't know. Just the, like that. All about that. That's so interesting. He my really does never, come off that way. My father never bought me a car when I was nine. That was a really terrible. No, but just like life. the, I know you are, but what am I? It's almost like, when were you in that mindset of talking? And that was that it age, totally like worked, eight, nine. But it totally worked for me. And I was able <sighs> to crush everyone in my path. And I'll crush everyone in my path in 24. Believe oh, me, that's what's totally going to happen. But in the meantime, enjoy your conversation with girly Mike Fettuccini. <laughs> 
I agree, Carla. We'll be we're, we're mostly nights. Mike Figueroa, welcome back to Generational Change. <laughs> How's it going? How's it going? I'm streaming on my Twitch as well simultaneously. Oh, cool! Uh, and so we're getting a kick out of you roasting the shit out of me as Donald Trump. <laughs> I've got to ask though. Did you purposefully make the eyes dark so he looks more like he's dying? Or is that so you can see? <laughs> no, it's no, that the, they're it's the mesh. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just because yeah. they're oh, mesh. It's mesh. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then the That's other funny. part is... Oh, at least right. I'm able to partially see through. He, right, right. Okay, that makes Although sense. He does kind of look like that. And you know what he would yeah. look like without all his makeup? He would look like a pasty, white, white, with sunken eyes, old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, he... I saw a photograph of him um, when I was listening to this podcast um, and they looked at him when he slicked his hair back and yeah. he didn't have all of the orange makeup on and he actually just looked like a regular old man. But like yeah. he goes back to clown mode where he I don't know if he's bald, but it looks like he's doing the comb over and he plasters a whole bottle of Jurgens afterglow lotion on his face and it just he looks like a clown. And even though like orange man bad like the trope is kind of old i still am not over his appearance and i'm not one of those people that always like that makes fun of other people like i'm not that type of person but for donald trump it's just so over the top that i i can never get over it ever it's immature but i can't help myself no he's he's a farce but it's it's funny when we think about like how he's orange i remember when i was growing up we used to sort of and i'm not going to say make fun of but we would always point out george hamilton with the with the fake, you know who I'm talking yes, about, yes. the actor with like the deepest, fakest looking tan ever. But it wasn't orange; it was tan. Trump is really orange. Yes, you know he's orange. Like, why? Do, you would think this is always my thing with him. You know, he could afford better hair situation, whether it would be like a weave or transplants or whatever. I'm just saying, like, he could definitely afford a better hair situation and he could definitely afford a better makeup situation. So mm -hmm. I don't understand it. Yeah, he does it himself. That That's such a great point because there, like, if you look, there's some of these TikToks that I've seen where toupees look flawless. Like, you can't oh, even yeah. tell. So he can do something like that. And if somebody in his family just was like, hey, what if we applied half the amount of the Jurgens Afterglow? Because they have these self-tanners that you can buy and they do make your skin really orange. I use them as a teenager. And as a teenager, I'm like, oof, this doesn't look natural. It looks like no. I have liver issues. But nobody's, like, told him this. Nobody's taught him how to properly style himself. It's like, you need a father to teach you how to shave, but you yeah. also need somebody to kind of like give you some direction. Like my older brother taught me how to like shave my head properly and to, to try to like taper it. Nobody's had that conversation with Donald Trump. He's gone all his life like that. But what's funny is if you look at the pictures of his parents, they look identical. His mom looks identical to him. I swear to God, if you don't believe me, folks, Google it. So somebody made this comment. And I wish I could credit them. It's the most hilarious thing ever. I still think about it sometimes. Somebody said Trump's family and his parents in particular look like they're in a movie with Trump where he plays all of his family members. Like, it's just so funny. <laughs> I will say this. I recently saw um, a picture of Barron and this good looking kid. He's tall, good-looking kid. He's going to be seven feet tall. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, know, uh, you know, now in terms of, you know, the brains that, you know, the jury's out on that, 
You know, like there's no there's no accounting for that yet. The other ones, they were Beavis smart, and Butthead. If he's a smart kid, Trump will own him. And if he is a dumb kid, Trump will disown him. That's just kind of how it works. <laughs> yeah, I hope that the influences in his life are more like his mom. It seems like just ba- like I this is all conjecture, but it seems like he's closer to his mom and his mom is more of a bigger influence. I hope that's the case. Like, I, I don't have much to say about his wife, Melania, but anyone is better than Donald Trump. He's just so unhinged. Yeah. So hopefully he will be i mean when you're raised in a toxic environment it's hard to not like carry that with you for the rest of your life but i I, i'm really hoping like i'm I'm pushing for uh for baron yeah i i i am too i'm gonna be hopeful for that as well because you know what i saw something where you if you read his lips like somebody read his lips and he was turning to his mom and saying are you okay like something in a moment like in a pub like they were at an event or something and he like took her hand and said are you okay like something just very sweet and i don't know i just felt like you know, she looks plastic, but she very well might be real. Right, right. Some people who are like seemingly superficial could have substance. And I kind of like, I shouldn't, but I do feel somewhat bad for Melania. Just because being married to Donald Trump can't be easy. Um, that, was, that was an arrangement. That was yeah. paid very handsomely. Now, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't think it's worth it. You know what I'm saying? I think mm-hmm. that it's been more of that for long. I mean, at some point, maybe they were a thing. I don't know. But it's been way longer of uh, it's contractual. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to tell she doesn't want anything to do with him. She doesn't want to be touched by him. Like you can tell yeah. like body language. I'm not an expert, but every time you see them, you can tell she wants nothing to do with him. No. Did you see? Okay. You're bringing me to the point uh, or to this memory that I had of there was this video. I don't remember when it happened where it was raining outside and they were walking together and he had an umbrella yes. and he was holding it over himself while she was walking in the rain. Who yeah. does that? You're doing yeah. this to your wife. I mean, there's a difference between like chivalry and just like basic human decency. Like if I'm walking next to someone, like I just ask them for it. I feel like it's a natural instinct right. if, you, if you just have manners. And he's just like not even thinking about it, walking with himself. And like there was a video <laughs> edit that I saw of like they were walking in slow motion with music playing and it was like jokey romantic music as he's just walking, covering himself and letting his wife get drenched. It just, when I see that, it's like, okay, I cannot feel bad, but you're right though. It's not worth it. I don't care what, like how rich that person is. You're living with this person for the rest of your life and more traumatizing than that. Like you at least had sex with them one time because they have a kid together. That, that's so traumatizing. It's but Donald it is, Trump. But again, this was a choice. This is a grown woman making a choice. That's and true. You, it, this is one of those things where it's like, you feel sorry about it. And to me, that's almost like very anti-feminist and very demeaning of her. It's assuming that she wasn't conscious and competent and aware and made her, a good own, point. And her own choices, but which whatever that is, that is. But mm-hmm. my guess, my guess is there's obviously a very good prenup where I'm sure she gets taken care of no matter what mm-hmm. happens. And she's going to go as so far as I think the kid's done with college. And I don't think she'll go back for another term in the White House if that ever mm-hmm. would happen. Like, I don't think, I think she's kind of done. Yeah, I wouldn't blame her. Yeah, I, I hope for for all of, like for Baron's sake, especially she is yeah. done because he needs to get out of that environment. I mean, he's kind of getting close to that age to where he can leave home and he has yeah. the capital to do that. But God, just being around Donald Trump and being in that environment, like with the white house, I don't think that's healthy for any child, like all presidential children. If you notice, they're all messed up in the head. Um, 
at least this is me psychoanalyzing them over the internet. But like you see, you see how they are. Yeah. Um, narcissistic. Well, like celebrity children, but worse. Right. Like, like so much worse because there's always been security issues. You've never been able to have normal like upbringing in any way. Um, yeah. you know, they're all kind of messed up. I mean, I think like Sasha and Malia will be normal. I mean, the Bush girls are kind of normal. That's, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I think they're, of like, they're I think and annoying, but they're kind of normal. Yeah. Yeah. At least compared to like the Trumps and healthy yeah. Clinton, she's just so narcissistic. I, I just get those I like, where she got that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get this elitist vibe from her. Don't make me bring out Bill Clinton because he's coming. <laughs> Equally as lechy to sit next to, by the way, Trump and Bill. It's really, I, I think that's how it would feel to me actually in person. Like I would feel equally icky from both of those individuals sitting next to me, actually. But you have to yeah. acknowledge the fact that we've sunk so far in terms of our country that we even have to debate the fact that right now, you know, if it was Trump versus Biden again, Trump probably wins. And that's a really mm -hmm. unfortunate circumstance. I don't know. But I think it's a crapshoot on that one. Let's hope that it doesn't have to. Yes, please. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm not ready for that. I just it's Jessica. exasperating to even Jessica. think about. But you made a really, really excellent video earlier. And there's one particular part of it that I really wanted to highlight, which I think is a great place to kind of start the conversation is the thing that Marjorie Taylor Greene said that doesn't get talked about enough that she was 100% spot on about is the fact that we have a consultant industrial complex problem in our politics. Mm -hmm. In the GOP, uh, it is much less of a problem than it is in the Democratic Party for this particular reason. In the GOP, you actually have to win races. To be kept around. If you don't mm -hmm. win, then you're kind of ushered out. Whereas in the Democratic Party, you could be a 10-time loser and still get hired. Not to mention any names. Yeah. And and get hired and paid a lot of money. And considering how difficult it is for so many, especially non-corporate candidates to raise money and be effective. I mean, there's grifters in the corporate side. There's grifters in the non-corporate side. There's but grifters. That is a huge part, in, in my opinion, that I've seen as to why there has been a lack of success in a number of cases mm -hmm. where the direction yeah. that these campaigns need to be going in are not going where they need to. And that's part and parcel because I do think that a lot of these paid consultants not only are in for obviously for selfish reasons, but I think they in some ways sabotage these campaigns. How do you see it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that for sure sabotage has got to be at least a little bit of the explanation, right? Not to be overly cynical, but like when you see the way that some of these campaigns are run, the decisions that they make is just absurd. And you can tell that it's a problem because every single campaign is essentially run the same. Whenever you see a Democratic campaign that is more off the cuff, more populist, more just natural, you can tell that they don't have as many consultants who are like part of the establishment. Like every campaign is going to have consultants, but they're uh, talking to new people. Like you could see it with John Fetterman, for example, like where he had fun with the campaign. It looked like, you know, they, they were just enjoying themselves and whatnot. But like with any other standard Democrat, they're given the same advice. And I think that that was a great point that you made, Peter, about how in the Republican Party, there's always accountability. Like they, they want answers. Right now they're calling for Ron McDaniel to resign from the RNC. At least some Republicans are. Uh, and 
that's the way that it should be. But with Democrats, I mean, as you said, you can you can lose and then get promoted to a position to where you are in control of the party's electoral apparatus. Uh, the DNC chair currently is one of those examples, you know, lost the Senate campaign, lost his race for the DNC back in 2017, 2018, got promoted to that high position. Sean Patrick Maloney, the chair of the DCCC, lost his own race. Yeah. So, I mean, Democrats, they, and I don't know how problematic this is within the Republican Party, but it does seem as if they actually do make changes uh, when they lose with regard to like consultants and whatnot. But the Democratic Party, they just keep circulating these people. Um, it's the same list of people. They go from one campaign to another campaign to another campaign. Um, and I don't know how big of an issue this was with Bernie 2020, but there were individuals who did work within the Democratic Party establishment that were working on his campaign. So it's just it's really frustrating to see that. And the Democratic Party needs to clean house. But at this point in time, I don't think that the Democratic Party is that invested in, in winning as well. They do the bare minimum. And really, this is about them raising money. And that's that's essentially it. It's uh, it is an issue. And, yeah, that is the one correcting that Marjorie Taylor Greene has probably ever said that we do have an issue with consultants in this country. Because, yeah, she's absolutely correct. Yeah. And we've seen it firsthand in some campaigns where mm. it's um, I actually had somebody on a campaign lie to my face, direct a campaign manager lie directly to my face when I'd asked if a certain person was involved this time around in the campaign. And I was flat out lied to when in fact that person was who had hired them. Jesus and Christ. So, right. And it's the same, like, and it's the same recycled people that have lost repeatedly in the left circles. And it's kind of like people, obviously they're either incompetent or they're nefarious, right? Like some, mm -hmm. or a combination of both, because at some point you got to realize it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the problem is that there's never any introspection in no. politics because it's all about money. It's an industry. So the goal isn't to elect these politicians here for these consultants. It's just to keep yourself employed. So it's all about self-interest, you know, and if you have the broader party, that's kind of like condoning and propping up this entire system, then it's going to bring everyone else down. So yeah, it's, I mean, consultants, I feel like they're never going to go away. And to an extent, they are a necessary evil, but the number of consultants needs to come down. And if you have a track record of just losing and feeding candidates bad advice and then charging them an arm and a leg, you shouldn't have a job. And I'm sorry, like I'm all for workers' rights, but this is politics. And if you don't deliver, you've got to hit the road. Yeah. It almost sounds like free market capitalism. Imagine if we mm -hmm. had legitimate free market capitalism where here's how it's going to be. You're going to get this kind of salary. And if you lose, you don't get anything. But if you <laughs> win, you're going to get a nice fat bonus. So here's a little yeah. incentive for you to actually do your job and do it well. Yeah. Just a thought. I mean, that would make too much sense. They don't want to win. That's the truth. They don't want to win. They don't care to win. It doesn't matter to them because the elitist corporate class is in charge of both parties. So it doesn't really matter to them. And it certainly doesn't matter to the consultants. Mm -hmm. but they, they couldn't care less. Spe speaking of, and perfect transition, because as you probably either both know or don't know, because this just came on the wire a few hours ago, but anti-Maxine Waters will not be subpoenaing Max uh, Sam Bankman-Fried to testify. And I wonder why. Uh, could it be because mm. she has a very cordial relationship with this man or because 
they've given $20 million to the Democratic Party or, or, or my theory. Uh, why isn't Katie Porter on the House Financial Committee anymore? And who took her off? Maxine Waters. So it just kind of makes perfect sense. And so when people yeah. wonder why the Donald is still relevant and could very well be our president. This again, is why. This is a great example as to why, as far as I yeah. can yeah, it's it's absolutely outrageous. And there's so many examples of this. There's also a surprisingly good antitrust bill that has effectively stalled in the Senate. Um, and Amy Klobuchar is one of the sponsors, I believe. But why won't Chuck Schumer bring that up for a vote? Well, I don't know. There's So one of his children either works for Facebook or one of these big tech companies or is associated with them. Um, so it, it, it always comes back to like, just follow the money and you get your answer for everything in politics nine times out of 10. Like a lot of this can be attributed to incompetence and stupidity. Sure. But the majority of the time, these politicians know what they're doing and it's all about corruption. Um, it's yeah. The Sa Sam Bankman freed situation the fact that he's not going to face any consequences is genuinely shocking to me. Um, but I say shocking, but at the same time, like I'm not surprised, but it's still like when you look at the details of that situation and you see how there's just, there, there's not going to be any changes after that, even then how can you expect anything in this country to change? Uh, I mean, the, the bare minimum would be for Democrats to approve Gigi Stone to the FCC. So that way they can redo the uh, net neutrality provisions that were taken away back in 2017. This is what the uh, FCC chairwoman, Jessica Rosenworcel wants to do, but she doesn't have the majority. It's deadlocked between two Democrats and two Republicans. So as a result, we just don't have any action and we whatever like it's like the ratchet effect right where republicans move us to the right and then democrats stop us from going back to where we were even right we just kind of keep drifting away and so it's deeply deeply frustrating yeah it's like wwf to me so you guys are mm -hmm. gonna be the bad guys and if it wasn't like here's the thing people are like oh if it were just not for joe manchin or kirsten Sinema, wow. then it would be someone else Right. Like there's yeah. always going to be the designated bad guy. There's always going to be the person because when it really comes down to it, if the people in charge want something done, they get it done. So when they don't, that this is the kind of bullshit theater that we have to watch. And as much as people hate Trump, they hate the D.C. establishment even more. And I frankly don't blame them. And this picture right here is emblematic of impropriety. Mm -hmm. Why does these two individuals or why do these two individuals have this cordial relationship when there is a serious legal case taking place right now that this lady, Maxine Waters, is supposed to be overseeing? It makes absolutely yeah. no sense. Yeah, it's 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 really annoying to me, too. Uh, like this needs to be called out and the donations that he gave to Democrats absolutely needs to be highlighted. But I can't help but like roll my eyes when Republicans are like, oh, well, see, they they gave all this money to Democrats, so they don't want to take action. Yeah, but like Comcast and Verizon and AT&T give money to your party and you won't uh, lift a finger to help pass Gigi Sohn. Like Gigi Sohn is a very progressive. She would be an, a very progressive FCC commissioner. Um but they're trying to attack her saying that she's like too woke and she wants to censor Republicans when she quite literally is like pro freedom on the Internet. Like she supports net neutrality. Right. Um, right. So it's like the, it's it's always like pointing the fingers like, oh, well, see, you got all these 
donations. I mean, at least we're talking about corruption kind of in some ways. Um, so it's a step in the right direction, but like they'll call, they'll call them out, but it's like pot calling the kettle black. It's just really frustrating. Yeah. It's not just frustrating. It's the fact that we can see the train heading towards us pretty much in enough time to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And yet for some reason, people are not getting out of the way. They're continuing to allow this to happen. And it's a cycle of events. You know, the good news is, is that a lot of people are kind of seeing through it now, but we're still trying to peel back the onion and make people realize that it isn't one person. It's the system that's broken. Our economic mm-hmm. and political system is broken. And how do I know this? Because the Democratic Party right now, on behalf of Joe Biden, is literally trying to have South Carolina be the first state in the nation for the 2024 primary. What Mm -hmm. that tells me is is that Um, they're not interested in democracy. They're interested in protecting their investment because that's all Joe really is at this point, with all due respect. He is a man in severe cognitive decline, but he is still the president. And he's still in the D.C. world, especially in the Beltway. There are a lot of people that are dependent on the current president for a very comfortable lifestyle. And they will go to great lengths to protect that, even if it means propping him up when he has no business doing this. I still think he should be challenged in 24, but my theory, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, and Jen and I have talked about it, I'm not sure if going in the direction of sort of like a known political commodity actually makes sense. I actually think a labor leader slash organizer, especially in light of what he just did to the railroad workers, would probably make the most sense. Get like a real, you know, I don't want to say Jimmy Hoffa, but you're like a real type of barn burning labor organizer to run for president. To me, Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. And I think it would galvanize a lot of people. Your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. I would love to see that. Um, somebody who has the chops to organize somebody who knows how to get people out. Absolutely. Um, but I just, and I don't want to be too doom and gloom, but the, the odds of him getting successfully primaried in 2024 is very, very small. Um, I'm not going to say zero, but it's very low. Um, and it sucks because I think that if he, continues to remain as president and he's the nominee once again that drastically reduces the democratic party's chance chances and i like the idea of like this unknown quantity because i'm so sick and tired of seeing seeing the same faces recycled every couple of years like i don't want to go back and forth again between like oh Pete Buttigieg, judge amy klobuchar kamala harris um we did this before with like hillary clinton she kept popping up it's like okay we need new faces And the Democratic Party, it's not like there's this lack of rising stars. It's that whenever there's an actual working class hero that emerges, they do everything in their power to stifle them and screw them over. Um, And the actual rising stars that like the corporate class likes aren't really any different, right? Like you may have somebody who's younger than Joe Biden, but it's it's continuity on the inside, change on the outside. So this was my response when like Nancy Pelosi stepped down and I saw that Hakeem Jeffries was going to be the new leader. Like I saw these articles about how, oh, well, this is a new generation taking over. But oh, it's yeah. like, but who cares? His ideology is identical to yeah. Nancy Pelosi's. And if anything, he's more hostile towards the left. So this isn't going to change a single thing. And I, I think that people, well-minded liberals, love them, but 
they think that all it's going to take is a change in leadership for the Democratic Party. Let the new generation take over. But that is so short-sighted because it's it's not just the people. As you said, it's the system itself. And if the system remains in place and it doesn't change, then you will see no changes with the Democratic Party. But the Democratic Party, they're kind of in this convenient situation to where they really don't have to do anything, if you think about no. it, right? We get frustrated with them, and then they lose an election because people stay home. But then we're reminded how terrible and frightening the Republican Party is. And they are. They're absolutely horrific. And we should oppose them. But then people run right back into the arms of Democrats because, I mean, there's no option. We live in a two-party system. And nobody is pushing for institutional changes that would subvert that duopoly, right? So it's like we go back and forth, you know. Democrats, Republicans, Democrats, Republicans. And meanwhile, as we continue to go back and forth, nothing changes. And we just, as a country, circle the drain even more. Uh, the one silver lining, though, because I don't like to be too doomer, is that I will say the rise in labor, that is really the cause for hopium for me. So whenever I start to feel a little bit too like doom and gloom or depressed, I think back to what was accomplished this year, like with Chris Smalls organizing the first union at, at Amazon. Yeah. People don't understand how significant that is with how Starbucks in December of last year went from the first store being unionized to now over 200, I believe. That is absolutely like that's yeah. unprecedented. None of us has seen this in our lifetimes. Um, so that's that's the one thing that gives me hope, because I don't think that the changes are going to come from the top down. Like it's going to come from bottom up. It's going to be external. It's not going to be like people in Congress are like, all right, guys, maybe we should do a little bit better. Right. No, it's going to be from labor because uh, labor is the backbone is uh, backbone of this country. So that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, and here's another good thing. If you want another silver lining to the fact that the Democrats have nobody is that it really allows us to focus all of our time on what will be the Republican primary shit show. And oh, yeah. I am so looking forward to that circus because the last time we had that circus, I was, it was beyond entertaining. <laughs> beyond under, We're talking uh, Rick Santorum, Lindsey Graham, uh, Paul Ryan, even like, who was it that, that one time that it was like a slew, it was like everybody. Yeah. It was like a shit it was show. A complete, uh, you know, but again, Ted opportunistic Cruz, uh, on everybody's yeah. part. And then we know Mike Pence is going to run because he's got a book to sell. Like so many of them. <laughs> yeah, true. But he's very niche. He's very niche. So it's sort of like, yeah, look, let him, it'll be interesting. He'll get the evangelicals, the anti-Trump evangelicals. It's a very small niche of people. I just think it comes mm -hmm. down to whether or not DeSantis runs. And then if he does, you have the, you have the fight. It's basically between the two of them. And that's what it will come oh, down to. Oh, it'll be glorious. Yeah, I, I was actually I wanted to get uh, your all take on this because, I, I mean, you're from Florida, so um, you, you know more about DeSantis than anyone. Uh, people are completely underestimating him. They're I, very, I so, very delusional. I am so un mm. but I, but I shouldn't be surprised because everyone underestimated Trump. Everybody did. That's true. That's a great point. And they also underestimated Bernie. The only reason Bernie mm. didn't make it was because he didn't grab them, you know, by the you know what's like yeah. Trump did. He needed to do that. And so, well, and the Republican Party is more democratic. They, they are. So they same. didn't yeah. want it to be Trump. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like he was the preferred party candidate by any stretch. I still yeah. think somebody needs to run against Joe if he is going to run again, because I, it, it's not just with the labor. It's the fact that you need somebody to continue to amplify the fact that it is the undemocratic party because they still have super delegates. Mm -hmm. Like that should 
be that should not there is nobody though that's the problem well i still i can't shake this um feeling of dread that if we like ever get a progressive the dnc is going to screw them over because do you remember after like nevada in 2020 you had people on msnbc and some democrats like elected democrats openly floating the idea of this contested convention where they use superdelegates to just pick someone else besides bernie sanders if he didn't win an outright majority i mean that is extremely undemocratic. So, you know, as you said, it's sad, but the Republican Party, at least as an institution itself, they are more democratic. They don't have superdelegates. So you can win outright. And certainly, like, the the Republican establishment, like, they do have institutional mechanisms that they can use to undermine candidates. But Donald Trump was so, like, he was such a force that they really couldn't do anything. And also, he was a wild card. Like, he went in there and he said, if I lose, um, maybe I'll run as a third-party candidate and independent. I won't say I will or I won't. And the problem is that, like, someone like Bernie Sanders, even though he's right on the policies, he's just too nice. Like, I've come to that conclusion. Like, considering whether or not Bernie Sanders runs again in 2024, he may be too nice to win. You know what I mean? So we need somebody who is a left Trump who is willing to like, I don't know, uh, throw some punches. Well, he's out there. It's just a question of whether he's willing to do it the way that needs to be done. And that's Jesse Ventura. Oh, well, and that would be awesome. Like that would be awesome. And he said he would run, but somebody needs to give him ballot access. And that's the ultimate problem of the crushing Mm -hmm. duopoly. Because he would run, but you have to have an infrastructure. You have to have ballot access. And the Greens are just, they're a lost cause. Well, the problem with the, the, I've kind of, look, I'll be honest. I've given up on um, third parties in this country. Yeah. Because there's a lot of really big organizations that are third party, um, that are anti-duopoly. But nobody is even trying to push electoral reform. And there's easy fixes that you can do to change this. Like, I'm not going to say that if we get electoral reform immediately, that's going to lead to a four-party system because that's really difficult to accomplish. Like, I studied electoral engineering in college, so I understand that it's very, very difficult. But we've learned in 2016 especially that you can't just, like, overcome the duopoly by sheer force of will. Hillary and Trump were the most hated candidates of uh, in the history as far as I remember. Um, And still, like the third party candidates, Jill Stein barely got 1%. Um, The other, uh, I don't remember who, was it Gary Johnson back in 2020 as well? I can't remember. But um, he got like 3% maybe. So this is going to keep happening. Like it's not just going to be that Americans are so fed up that they opt for a third party. You have to change the system. The easiest fix is ranked choice voting, which we're seeing some movement on. But there's, there's legislation that has been floating around in Congress that's had like seven co-sponsors and nobody has pushed it. And this is uh, this was HR 4000. Uh, I talked about it on my show quite a bit. And what it does is it institutes ranked choice voting nationwide. But on top of that, it moves to um, proportional representation in the sense that it changes the amount of representatives that we have. So currently we have a winner take all system. We all get one representative. All you've got to do is get the most votes. Even if it's not a majority, you win. Um, But if we moved to proportional and we increased the district magnitude from one to at least three, that means that we're not just electing one person. We're electing three people per district. So that means that even if you didn't get the most votes, 
you still go to Congress, you still can get some representation. And it's difficult to accomplish this because it's kind of like ingrained culturally, like the two parties have become almost inextricably linked to our identities as, you know, as individuals, which I hate, but it's true for a lot of Americans. They really identify with that party affiliation. Uh, But we have to change the system. And so like if the Green Party um, and, and that's not to say that some Green Party members don't emphasize this, but if they use their organizing power to push for like ballot initiatives to get ranked choice voting or push like like there's organizations like Move to Amend or not Move to Amend, I'm sorry. I can't remember the name of it, but it's an organization that is all about electoral reform. If all the third party folks did this instead of just wanting to form a new party, that would be better because we have literally hundreds of third parties. It's not that we don't have enough parties in the country. It's that the institutions stifle third parties. Like the system is quite literally rigged against third parties. So we have to change that. And I want to change that, but I've kind of given up because nobody understands that. They just think, well, I'm just going to stop voting for, you know, the Democratic Party. And it's like, okay, I understand that frustration and I will never tell anyone not to vote and I'll never voter shame because for example like my mom she registered for the first time in her life in 2016 to vote for bernie and when he lost she was like okay i'm dead i'm like no no no. just like vote for jill stein she's great right so like if the third party candidate brings out somebody i'd rather them do that than stay home but ultimately we have to be honest with you oh it's fair vote somebody in my chat brought it up yeah thank you it's fair vote is the organization right but like we have to be honest about about this and if we want a third party we have to change the system. It's it's easier said than done, right? But that's the ticket to victory because you can't just like you can't th- thinking about a national election, you can't organize a third party victory. The only way that you're even going to be remotely successful is if you have so much money. I mean, think about the uh third party candidates like uh Ross Perot. He had money. Right. In my state of Oregon, we had a three-way governor race. Why? Well, because one of them was like straight up just propped up by a billionaire. So either you have a corrupt third-party candidate that has a lot of money or you change the system and we have to change the system. So this is why I've been telling people HR 4000, I think that's the number the last time it was introduced, which was in like 2018, by the way. But whenever I have the opportunity to go to a town hall, I ask my representative, will you support HR 4000? Uh, It's from Don Byers. It is legislation that can actually change the system. And I'm not going to say it's a panacea. And even if we had a five-party system, Capitalism is going to corrupt all of those parties, right? That's the reality. But is that a step in the right direction? Yes. And that's got to be the focus. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that I know um, Andrew Yang, uh, when he started with Forward Party, his first priority was ranked choice voting. It's still. And it's no, not right. It's still his priority. So it's, you know, clearly that, I mean, there are people that are getting hip to that, that that's the only way we're going to be able to do anything. And you're right. There are a lot of third parties and your neighbor. They're the, just, they're and your, yeah. And your, and your sexless. neighbor and your neighbor to the Southeast. I mean, give Nevada credit. I mean, they passed it and right. you know, it should be happening a lot faster, you know, and at least in states like California, Washington and Louisiana, yeah, I mean, look, jungle primaries is not ideal, but at mm-hmm. least it's something. It's, it's better than than not. And and I think the I best example, the best example that we can use is um, Lisa Savage. Was, that was yeah, Lisa Savage okay. mm-hmm. in so Maine. What people may or may not remember, which is just goes to show you how broken the system is between Susan Collins and Sarah Gideon running for the U.S. Senate seat in the state of Maine. About $150 million was spent on that race between the two campaigns. And yet, 
despite all of that, with only, I believe, a couple of hundred thousand dollars, Lisa Savage in the Green Party, you know, the Green Party that with Howie Hawkins got less than one percent of the vote, while somehow mm-hmm. Lisa Savage was still ma- able to get over five percent of the vote. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but think about that impact that shows when you have additional choices, you get a lot more voters. Maybe the mm-hmm. next time you get 10 percent of the vote when it looks like you have viability. I mean, yeah, we're we're not looking at a situation like we we were with Ross Perot. But one thing that I think people tend to forget about when Ross Perot ran for president is the fact that he dropped out of the race in the middle of the summer for like two months and then decided to get back in again. If he had a completely focused campaign, maybe he gets 25 to 30 percent of vote. Maybe he does win, you know, five or six states. You know, mm-hmm. the, the change can actually happen, but we just seem to be so disorganized. We've got so many of these mm-hmm. factions. You see it all the time. And we saw what happened with the movement for a people's party. There is way too many opportunists out there. And we have such a difficult time formulating these coalitions that we must form if we're going to get this done. Um, Metalopoly, mm-hmm. I just want to answer this. The question is, wouldn't ranked choice voting allow for Dems to vote in GOP primaries and vice versa? Those are completely unrelated issues. What you're talking about is <clears throat> whether you have open or closed primaries. Like in the ideal world, we would have open primaries and ranked choice voting. like that. So what ranked choice voting is, is you, you would have it in your primary, for example. Right. You would have five candidates in your primary and you rank them from one to five in your order of preference. And if any of them gets more than 50, whatever the percentage is, then they win. If not, the bottom person goes out. You're you then get allocated to your second pick. Um, this is one of those things where it's like a like a cannabis user just I don't get, but I kind of understand. But the point is, it's Thank unrelated. It's unrelated to whether which primary you vote in. Um, but yeah, you would have in the general election, let's say multiple parties as opposed mm-hmm. to multiple candidates in your primary. I'm just explaining this. So it's like, you know, I feel like I get off on like a civics tangent. Um, but so, yeah, I hope that I but hope it's that also, helps. But in a lot of ways, it's also the dumbing down of society. You know, we're so unable to stay focused on things for a long period of time and having any type of real nuance in the political world is far and few between. Hence why so many people voted for Herschel Walker. You know, oh. if there was any real nuance there, they would see immediately that, yeah, we can't do this. Oh. And luckily, yeah. we I didn't. am thankful for that. Yeah. Let me tell you, oh, I yeah. am thankful for that. We reached out to um, Warnock's campaign. Did we ever even hear back from no. them? Okay. And offered to set up a phone bank for them. Um, just mm. because, and I don't normally like reach out to people that I don't necessarily even know and just be like, yeah, I want to set up a phone bank for you. But I am very thankful that Herschel yeah. Walker did not win because I am sorry, but just no. And you would have had a yeah. for no. six years. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it's exhausting to think about. Like, I think I said this in my video. Like, I actually feel like optimistic today because I don't have to deal with the dumb things that he says for for six years like it's bad enough that we have so many like terrible people who are in prominent positions of power in media or in government that we have to cover them but like him it's just a different layer of exhausting because it's something that's preventable right like like you could look at him and see this is somebody who very clearly isn't capable of 
being in a position of power. And what I said before um, was, look, his family should have stepped in. I blame them. But come to find out, Christian Walker says, no, we all begged him not to, but Trump demanded that he run. Um, oh, so there are some instances. Totally capable. It's, of no, but it, it definitely yeah. is a case of like fish out of water and lack of lack of awareness, mm-hmm. lack of self-awareness. Seriously, like not everybody is meant to do every job. One of the significant right. differences between Trump and DeSantis is DeSantis has a tendency yeah. to pick very sharp, competent people. They may mm-hmm. be nefarious and some of them downright evil. But you better believe they're competent in what they do. Whereas from the very beginning, when Trump got elected and he started basically trying to fortify his positions all over the country, he was picking the he was picking basically the same people that have worked for the Trump organization for decades. His attorney Mm -hmm. was Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Yeah, that says everything. Also, I love how when he got elected, um, there was these articles about how they were so shocked at how many um, positions there were to fill. It's like, yeah, when you get elected as president, there are literally thousands of people who you have to appoint. And they like had no idea. They had no clue what they stumbled into. It's just I'm tired of unqualified people. Like I I like that there was this like anti-establishment wave and still is in this country. But I don't like how that's kind of been like wrapped up with anti-intellectualism. We need to decouple these things. Okay. I want somebody who is anti-establishment, but simultaneously not a dumbass. Is that so difficult? Like, is that that hard to get? But because of the fact that the Democratic Party has, they made a conscious decision when they saw the direction that the party was going in the summer of 2015. And they said, we got to stop this. What Mm -hmm. do we do? We have to, we have to embrace the far right even more. We have to get more of these Republican conservatives to vote in our party, to be even more friendly to Wall Street than we've ever been before, because that's what's going to prevent this sort of takeover. It's like 1972 with, um, with George McGovern all over again. It's this, mm. we have to do whatever is necessary because our party, point blank period, is funded by Wall Street and Silicon Valley. And if you need any more proof of that, just look at what's happening right now with Sam Bankman-Fried. I think the Hunter Biden laptop story is a big deal, but if you think that's a bigger deal than what Joe Biden just did to the railroad workers or the fact mm-hmm. that Sam Bankman-Fried is not allowed to skate on one of the biggest financial Ponzi schemes, which will, which will, when it's all said and done, completely trump the shit out of Bernie Madoff. Mm-hmm. Nothing that that man did, nothing that Madoff did will even come close Is to this. Is this, and I, I purposefully don't know about this. I have to admit that. I don't understand the crypto thing. I don't understand any mm-hmm. of that. I don't, and here's the thing. I'm okay not understanding it. I'm just not that interested in it. Now, mm. what my, my understanding is, is that clearly there's corruption afoot and somebody scammed a bunch of people. But is that what this is? It's the crypto thing? There was a facilitation mm. that was going on. See, Sam Bankman-Fried basically is one of the early billionaires, if you will, in the crypto world. But it's a world that as much as people think is known to the public, it's not. It's a very secret world that... Investors were involved in right after the crash in 2008, 2009. They came up with a way to get off of the grid, and there was only a handful of people that really understood this. And by the time it blew up, there was a handful of people that got all of the effing money. And if anyone thinks otherwise, then they're looking no different than they would at a Wall Street stock that somehow goes to the moon. I wish I was smart enough to have invested in Apple 
when the iPod came out in 2001. Now, that would have made a lot of sense in terms of an investment. But in terms of crypto, and even more so in terms of NFTs, how you can't see the scam, I don't know. But when the system is breaking, people will grasp at any straw they can get their hand on. Anything. Yeah. I think, isn't it fictional money? I don't understand any of that. It, you know what I would recommend is there is this um, there's a video. I don't remember who made the video, but it's called The Line Goes Up. It's like two hours long. And this guy just talks to a camera the whole time. It is the most in-depth explanation of why um, it's about NFTs. Uh, NFTs, excuse me, but he he goes through crypto as well because you have to kind of understand crypto in order to get NFTs. And so he explains it in a very thorough way that makes it click. But essentially, like all of the things that led to the Wall Street uh, crash in 2008, like crypto was supposed to be, in theory anyways, the answer to that. Well, this is our, our the way of the future, so that way it's not all concentrated. But the same things that led to the 2008 crash, crash are happening with, the, with crypto as well. So I'm not like the best person to explain it, but I'd highly recommend that video and also Matt Binder's podcast, Scam Economy. He kind of goes into this and, and gets into the minutia. It's complicated, but for the most part... The way that I reduce it down in my mind is crypto and really all individual stocks anyways is effectively gambling, right? I mean, crypto is so volatile and you you shouldn't invest money in this unless you expect to lose it and you're okay with losing it. And really, I think like for myself, I don't have any individual stocks. The only stocks that make sense is like if you're going to invest in a mutual fund or something like that. But I mean, either way, it's to me, it's just, it's all gambling. It's, it's all risky and it's not a game for us peasants. It's a game for the elites, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my uneducated take on it. <laughs> come, no, down, come, come down to Miami, see what it's like down here. Mm. Uh, we re- if you want to see what a third world, co- what the future, they always say Florida is the future of America. Well, if that is the future of America, then I'm not too optimistic. It's not, <laughs> it's I, it's not ideal. My, yeah, I mean, Miami is just, it's its so bad. And, you know, when the system, like I said, when the system breaks, when you have all of these signs around you that says it's broken, but maybe that's what it's going to take for us to finally get our act together because for so long, so many of these things that were taking place, we weren't really aware of them like mm-hmm. we are now like the Sam Bankman-Frieds of the world. We're also not really aware or weren't as aware of stock manipulation with Nancy Pelosi, but now you have an organization like Unusual Whales that is showing all of this very pointed data about how they trade on inside information. Mm -hmm. Debbie Marshall Schultz is one of the most notorious inside traders, particularly as it relates to the war in Ukraine and how she's been a war profiteer. And that doesn't get talked about enough. So all of these things that are happening almost simultaneously, the the rigging of the 24 election with the primary changes and all of that stuff, it's everything at once. And I can understand why people are checking out. They It's kinda, defeatist. It is defeatist in a yeah. lot of ways. But I still think our last bastion of hope, which I still think can win if we got our act together, is labor. Labor. If mm-hmm. we got together in a real cohesive labor movement had like a national labor council that doesn't involve union Look. bosses. Yeah. Oh, she's got I the got vest. My vest. She's got your yellow vest. Hey, I have one of those too. Hell yeah. yeah. Isn't cool? Right. Yeah. But, uh, this is what it's about because the answer is not going to be in electoral politics. Mm-hmm. Like that, by the time we get that through or get into that, like we're, it's just going to be, it's, it's not, it, it's too trickling. 
every mm-hmm. once in a while. I mean, the fact that Katie Porter had to fight so hard for her seat is a sign that, you know, it's not easy to get people in there that are going to be our people. And how do we, yeah. because, you know, obviously you went through, uh, you know, again, I hate the social media bickering and the fighting and the crap, and you know all about this very well. Um, and we know who the biggest pot stirs uh, are. All I'm mm. thinking is, you know, the, the, these high profile people, if you will, and we know who the ringleader is and anyone that is associated with him and any of the subsidiaries that are involved. Um, subsidiaries. Well, that's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> what it is. Well, because he kind of does the same thing. I just don't even like giving it airtime now, even without saying names. I don't like giving it airtime. But the importance of, of, of this of this conversation is the fact that you could have been spending all of your time cultivating the labor movement. And instead you had this stupid pet project of a third party that was never going anywhere. It basically became a scam within itself. And instead what we could have been doing was just figuring out ways to unite the teamsters, uh, coffee, uh, workers with Starbucks, obviously the Amazon workers. And of course the biggest one of all, which hasn't even really started yet, but needs to was Walmart. Mm -hmm. There are so many different ways that we could be uniting and we're not seeing it. And that's where I think these independent media figures that have a million subscribers and do the same stupid shit over and over again. Bitching about the same things. Because they know it's going to make them money. Let's be honest. It's going to make them money. They get a lot of clicks. And they do. Where are they? I never see them ever. And I never watch them, but I look at what videos they put out there. I never see any of them do any Mm -hmm. videos about how do we rally labor ever. No, Mm -hmm. well, they don't address issues. They just bitch and complain about each other. Yeah, I think that um, if I'm being 100% honest with you all, um, my optimism and hope for indie media over the years has diminished. And it pains me to say that as a member of indie media, um, because I used to think, man, this is the answer to to corporate media, right? We are decommodified. We own uh, our own media apparatuses. So we are the future. But just like with traditional media, there's so many perverse incentives in uh, indie media as well. You know, there's these incentives that uh, are, you know, clickbait. Uh, how do you get more views? Because views translate into ad revenue. So eventually, like you are kind of into, you're forced into this type of system uh, to where you back yourself into a corner. And if you base everything on what's going to get you applause, then you kind of like these barriers kind of go up and you may not realize it, but they're up. And once you deviate from that, you realize that, you know, you're, you're betraying the audience that you help to cultivate. So this is what I call audience capture, right? Where yeah. you start saying something and you attract a certain audience and then they kind of dictate where you go. And it's not the other way around. Right. So they call it influencers. Uh, but a lot of these influencers are influenced by their audience because once you get a little bit of taste of success, yeah. you know, you don't want to lose that. And so for me, like I, I realized back in like, and I've talked about this before back in 2017 or whatever, um, I was cultivating a lot of right wing followers because I was shitting on Hillary Clinton. Now, was I dunking on her from the left? I mean, this was the Democratic Party primary in right, 2016. Right. So tensions were high, right? But that was when I just started and I attracted a lot of right wing followers because they didn't necessarily care that I was being nuanced and trying to shit on Hillary exclusively from the left. They just care that I was shitting on Democrats and my message was Democrats bad. So I realized that like I 
they were trying to box me in, right? So I did a video, and this this is like the huge moment where I came to realize this. Um, I posted about, what was it, Pizzagate or whatever, and I just shit on it. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And that vid- was the first video where I got mostly dislikes. And it's like, oh, part of it was cognitive dissonance. <laughs> but it's also, I realized that like I was cultivating this audience. So that's what, like these people- yeah. Have to they be mindful knew you from of that. one thing in a good way, and then as soon as they really saw, okay, but that's just one thing. All right, I've had people like that that like saw me on something like Tim Pool and thought, okay, she's cool. Mm. But then I'll say something else, and they'll be like, okay, yeah, no. But we actually have a very diverse group in the chat. Like I don't know, like they're very. We have a lot of different types of people. Look, I just had to come on here specifically to tell you, Mike, that you're not supposed to talk about that pizza thing it's really not good for your health uh, in more ways than one uh jen good to see it uh look unfortunately hillary's uh you know she's a very dangerous person and i would advise people to uh mind their p's and q's or you could get arkansided uh, uh, like epstein that's there's no i don't even know that guy um it's no such thing uh, arkansided no, that doesn't exist yeah <laughs> <laughs> I wish that the Clintons were that cool. People make them seem like these like movie villains. It's like, no, they're just like boring old hacks. By the way, Bill, I've got to ask you since I have you on. Um, I can't find this, but and I'm playing into this, but I have to. There was a picture of you that was posted and you look like you were near death. How are you doing? <laughs> well, after a few trips to a private island with some very fine. I mean, I, what am I talking about? Um, I know uh, you've been to no, that I island. haven't been anywhere. Uh, well, you know what I, you know what I did, which was actually very smart. Uh, I started having a vegan diet, and what I found is that by eating healthy and exercising, imagine that regularly instead of just going to McDonald's like I used to love to do, uh, I decided to start eating healthy and exercising, and it, uh, I did not inhale, so you can't prove anything. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, if you live a healthy life and you walk the straight and narrow, you'll avoid any of the pitfalls that come with getting in our way. <laughs> but just remember the court. Oh, we still away. run the Democratic Party. You should be in that prison. Go away. Just remember, <sighs> I can never be sent to prison for a very specific reason. <laughs> I signed the 94 crime bill into law. I am the law. Oh, I make the law. So That's gross. how it works. <laughs> so <laughs> gross, man. It's so lechy. <laughs> it's just, it's so, yeah, it's so, such a good impression that it's like disturbing almost. <laughs> gross. <laughs> And I, th- and I think people really <laughs> underestimate, um, you know, Jen hasn't decided yet what she's going to do in 24, but I still think one of the most un- un- underrated aspects of Debbie Wasserman Schultz's treachery Wasserman. is the fact that when she was the head of the DNC in 2014, she was spending money at the rate you spend during presidential election years, not off-year elections. So mm. the debt... The millions upon millions of dollars that was accumulated in debt. And you almost have to wonder how coordinated it was deliberately with the Clintons for them to swoop in with their foundation, take on all the debt, wipe the slate clean, and then financially have their hooks completely in the Democratic Party. And all it took was screwing Haiti. Oh, well, that's one Mm -hmm. of them. I'm just like, no, because the Clinton Foundation to me is a money laundering scheme. It is. Oh, that can't absolutely. be a real thing. What is that? What I, it's if it's not money laundering, then for sure it was like influence uh, reputation laundering. It was like a way that you can skirt 
campaign finance regulations. Not that like exactly. you can't already do that, but that way you can uh, you can give them the bribes, right? But you know, there's no limit there. And no, like, hey, we donated to your foundation. You don't pay taxes on that. You don't pay True. taxes on that. I'm sure it's a foundation. So it's yeah. wandering. And while here. everyone is griping about the about Trump University, and rightfully so. You, you can't be hypocritical about the fact that the Clinton Foundation brought in $3 billion and about 5% of it, 5% went to actual causes. Money mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Political influence. That's, a, that's, I mean, that's as bad as it gets. Yeah, they're pretty and bad. And their hooks are mm-hmm. still in the party. Why is Hillary Clinton still being wheeled out for her opinion about anything related to the decisions of the Democratic Party as a whole? Mm-hmm. That in so many ways, the toxicity of, of the party as it still stands, and it's changing, not fast enough, but you know, we have to be honest about why things aren't moving where they need to move. And when somebody like Maxine Waters, who has been a darling, if you will, of the corporate liberal establishment for so long, is doing the most nefarious underhanded tactics to protect one of the biggest billionaire criminals we've ever seen. And all because he's a massive, massive donor of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. It's a broken system. And that's where the whole conversation being about how do we unite via labor, I think, is so important. And then also, you know, like you were saying, you've lost a lot of faith in independent media in terms of their ability to kind of unite, if you will. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, and Take take this for what it's worth. I was listening to Tim Pool not too long ago, and somebody had asked him on the show, is there anybody in the Democratic side that you like? And I shit you not, he said one name. Hers. Really? Really? Yeah. And so what that tells me is... That's interesting. We may not be big, but... I'd like to think what we're doing is right. Mm-hmm. We're making the necessary inroads. Because he didn't to respond make. to my text. That's why that's so funny. Because oh, yeah. I had texted him after that whole Kanye thing and asked if he would come on and talk about it. And he never responded. So yeah, it's just it's, kind of interesting. Well, maybe in that moment. But, you know, who knows how many different people have been clamoring to try to get I'm him sure, to talk I'm about sure. I'm sure. But that but but when we look at sort of, you know, the relationships we have, you know, with you, with Jordan Cheriton, with Vosh with even with Tim Pool, you know, you, you cast this very wide net and you try to bring as Sam Cedar, you try to bring as many people wide together, net. you know, as you can. And I just don't really see a lot of channels doing that. And and from your perspective, do you think it's really just ego? Do you think it's money? I mean, why do you think a lot of them don't really I guess what you would say cross pollinate for the most part. That's what I say is cross pollinate. Yeah, yeah, no, that I was gonna I was gonna say cross pollinate too, because yeah, it we don't see that on the left as much, right? Like on on the right, if you tune into Steven Crowder, he he's bringing on like um, you know, all these other fools, uh, Dave Rubin, you know, but we don't do that on the left, which I do think is a problem. Like, so we're all kind of in our own little like bubbles on the left as well. And it's so easy to get like factionalized. And I do think that that is a problem. I think that as much as like, I I say that I've lost faith in indie media, like that's not to say that like there aren't good people. Like I think there are good people who genuinely want to make a difference. It's just that people need to be able to suss out who is and isn't the real deal and who's full of shit. And now, as we've seen more case studies, I think it's pretty easy to tell who is and isn't like authentic. 
but I do think that the left, uh, like the good indie media folks, need to do more at like cross pollinating and and uh, and reaching out because I think that that is how you build like more power, a bigger ecosystem. So to where we're not like these individualized little communities, we're like one big collective left because we oftentimes talk about the online left, but like it's kind of this amorphous thing. Like we don't even know like what does that entail. Um, there, there's so oh, many. And- People, you know, that frustrated. Oh, I'm sorry. Go finish, finish. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the what, what is the left? Because when Mm. I've seen certain people talking and calling out Russell Brand as a right winger, I'm thinking you have no concept as to what left and right is, and you don't understand a thing that he says. I've done that, but I call a lot of people that if they start doing like anti vax stuff or anything. Well, but there's a difference between being anti vax. And being someone who is discussing it and isn't necessarily in favor of mandates or whatever it is, like there's nuance there. It's not like, and I don't recall him being anti-vax. I just remember him telling everybody it should be their choice what they do. Um, That's not anti-vax. And I also think there has to be, I don't want to say it has to be like a ranking, if you will, but there's, there's different, like, for example, on the right, like there's a different level of nefarious behavior when it comes to certain people. Like mm-hmm. Stephen Crowder is an extremely nefarious individual. And for the people who don't think so, I, I exhibit A <coughs> will always be when he tried to mock what happened to George Floyd by pretending to have somebody like put his knee on. Uh, and yeah. saying, anybody who pays any attention to this guy, it, you know, come on. Like there mm-hmm. is a level that you just you just don't go there. I understand that there's different things that people will do in order to gain attention for their show. But there's also something to be said about who's really doing this for the reasons that matter. And then there are ones who are not. And we've seen people transition. We've seen people, you know, do these things. We saw what Tulsi did on the national stage. But Mm. there's also things that people have done in the independent media circuit that basically said, well, this is going to get me money. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm just going to have to go there. And I understand mm-hmm. that if you're doing this for a living, it is important. But it's also important to note, you know, who's really you, you don't have to make it exclusive. Like, I understand you want to touch on the hot button topics. Sure, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that can't be just what your entire thing is about. And yeah. I, I would hope that the more people see this, because remember, we're having we would have loved to have had you. But, you know, you said you're going to be away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having our Festivus live stream on Friday. The it's a 23rd. Festivus for the rest of us. And we're having as many independent media people that we can have to come on. It's going to be great. We'll have Steve Grumbine. We'll have Ron Placone. Uh, we're hoping for some others. Uh, Jordan Cheriton, uh, some other big names, not going to mention just yet. All right. We're having. You can't spoil the surprise. This sounds fun. No, there always has to be somebody we have yeah. to back a few. Yeah, some people. Well, we'll, we'll say it now because we want a lot of people to tune in. But next, um, what today's the, what's today? Today's Wednesday. Today's the 7th? Yeah. Okay, well, it's not for a week and a half, but on the 19th, mm-hmm. we're having uh, Chelsea Manning is coming back on our podcast. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. That'll be an interesting conversation. That's very exciting. Uh, we're having uh, a couple of the guys from More Perfect Union come on. And I think they do excellent work. I mean, in mm-hmm. terms of, uh, yeah. you know, really galvanizing the labor movement. Um, and and uh, Jennifer uh, Sears, I think is her name. She's the lady who just uh, did the, she did the uh, the AOC documentary, uh, Knocking Down the House. Right. And she just did a follow-up mm-hmm. one. And she's going to be coming on. So 
I think the more we have these conversations, the more we are going to get there, even though it seems kind of bleak. I mean, listen, like you said, mm-hmm. at least we woke up today without Senator Walker. Uh, I think we can all agree that uh, that did not no. happen. But, but we were only 100,000 votes away from that happening. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit too close for comfort. But at the same time, I'll take 0.001%. I'll take a one vote difference. I just want to make sure that it doesn't happen um, because – Again, like this, a senator is, it's no small thing. You have so much power and influence. Like we need somebody who's competent. And I think that Warnock, uh, you know, I have disagreements with him, but I think he has clearly demonstrated that he is competent. He is capable of holding that seat. Uh, But just going back to the independent media thing real quick. um, uh, One thing that I'll leave everyone with is because I I don't want to like sow doubt about independent media because I very clearly have a vested interest in seeing this whole realm succeed is just be a responsible consumer of media, right? Like be skeptical, question the things that we say, uh, myself included, fact check me. Um, because that's that's what we've seen is like the, I don't want to say cult of personalities, but it, it like yeah. sorts of cults of personalities around independent media figures, hence the whole like moniker of influencer, right? And I think that if you can suss out who is and isn't like, real who actually cares um then you'll be much more able to spot like the bullshitters from the people who are authentic like part of the problem is a lot of these people who do political commentary i don't think they've even taken political science 101 i don't think they have a cohesive like ideology like i don't think that they adhere to socialism or liberalism like i think they just kind of they they see what gets them clicks and they follow it i know that you guys disagree but like I think Russell Brand is like a case study of like going from authentic to grifter. Like if you track his content over the years and we can check back in like two or three years and he'll be full on right winger. I guarantee it. But like, if you could, if you can spot the cues there um, and I've done a video. So like, I don't want to be talking about particular issues. And here's the thing, like he is someone, and this is really where I, it comes down to it for me, who seems to be genuinely concerned with more freedom and more justice for everybody and actually does seem to care about well-being of people and their feelings. And so like, I think he is saying, if you look at his content and I've been following him for a little bit, right? Like I shit on him in like, I don't know, 2020, 2021. And I got a lot of pushback, but a year later I revisited it. And a lot of people are starting to realize it. I think that what he is doing is he started off really good. Like I used to watch Russell Brand back in like 2014 and he'd talk about like spirituality and uh, vegetarianism and shit like that. And I was like, wow, this is a really interesting perspective. Uh, But little by little, he became victim to his own audience, audience capture to where you can see like if you if you click on his video, he's probably going to sound pretty I guess neutral, at least he he likes to portray himself as Switzerland, but the titles and the things that he chooses to selectively cover, uh, it's indicative of him appealing to a very specific audience, which is reactionaries. And you can even look at who he associates with. He exclusively brings on reactionaries now, uh, doesn't push back. So, and the, again, like, I don't want to say that like, he's just straight up a right winger because I think that would be a stretch, but I think that he's one of these cases to where you could look at, you can look at someone and see that person is doing it for clicks. And it's tough because you can't necessarily tell with 100% certainty that, a person is being genuine or not, but I've been in this game so long and I've given people the benefit of the doubt for so long that now I can, I could pinpoint it like that. 
So he's one of them. But again, like if you think that if you think that I'm wrong, then no, I think I that you just watch, right. no, not, not you in particular, but like the audience, like if you think I'm wrong and you watch him, that's perfectly fine, but be, be a responsible consumer of media. And I, that applies to me as well. Like I do my best to fact check, but we're all human beings. Perhaps my own biases could get in the way. So if every, like if every single person was a responsible consumer of media, things would be better and independent media would be better because people wouldn't be able to get away with like the things that they say, which they know are wrong in some instances. Like, you know, like the person who, uh, he who shall not be named. I won't, I won't, I shit on this person all the time, but I won't, I won't do it because you all don't want to bring it up. Like was busted lot, like making things up, changing the context of an article, right. With regard to vaccines. So like if people had a better bullshit detector or they at least recalibrated it, It'd be a lot better. And I've been saying this about independent media. I'll say the same thing too about, um, or excuse me, about mainstream media, but I'll say the same thing about independent media. You have to be skeptical and you have to have the right amount of skepticism, right? So you have to calibrate it properly. If you're overly skeptical, then you're almost as bad as being like naive in, in a sense. Like you've got to find the right balance, right? And so there are things to look for, cues to look for, who uh, um, that you you can determine if somebody is like genuine or not. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are in it just for the money and clicks, but there's also a lot of good people in it, but just like be, be skeptical. But um, in terms of cross pollination, I will say um, if you'll allow me to, it's a good chance for me to plug. I I have a new podcast out with other lefties. Um, It's called the leftist mafia every Thursday at uh, 5 30 PM PST. Uh, I'll get together with uh, Matt Binder, David Dole, Lance from the Serfs, Illuminati, Olayemi Uluren, um, and we just talk about random things and shoot the shit. So this is like our effort to kind of cross-pollinate, and we're still debating on if we want to bring on guests and stuff like that. Like, I think that this needs to happen more. And I think that what you all do, like with your Christmas festivists and how you have these big live streams, I think that's so important because oftentimes we again like we get in our own little bubbles in our communities and we just like start to uh, i guess fade away into doomerism but like when we come together like you see even happiness and even if like you have this stream with like 10 other youtubers and nobody and like there's no substance there just the fact that there's this sense of community i do think that that is important like last week we talked about like this uh, pro-life spider-man who was scaling buildings to raise awareness of anti-abortion we just laughed at it and i think that things like that are important just because you know politics doesn't have to be doom and gloom you can have fun and you can have like a sense of community so i, I a thousand percent agree with you guys you guys with a uh, cross-pollination and you do it though like you've had us on and you've you know mm-hmm. you've cross-pollinated with people many times like cavernacle, the cavernacle. Amy, uh, as much as i need to though but um i, I try it, it's again like i get into this this rhythm where i do my show and then i do all these things and to um to bring on a guest or to go on somebody's show is kind of like it disrupts my schedule unless I like bake it into the schedule. So like, you know, I did dystopian times and that was part of my schedule. I've been doing Twitch streams and that's when I talk to people more frequently. Um, So I feel like, I don't know if it's just me, but like we have to break out of our routines. And this is me kind of preaching to myself because it's, it's hard because, you know, every extra hour that I have, it's like, okay, I could be doing this. I could be, turning my videos into TikToks. I could be doing X, Y, Z. And I need to like break out of that and just like talk to more people because it's it's cathartic. 
as somebody who is definitely on the true left and even far left to a degree, I think because you are just such a likable person that there are a lot of things that people are going to overlook as they should, because Mm -hmm. I do think personality has a lot to do with what attracts people. And I do think you bring up an excellent point about audience capture and the topics Mm -hmm. that people are willing to talk about. No one has succeeded better at that in particular than Tim Pool. I mean, he literally is almost like wrote the book on it. And then, you know, who in Los Angeles basically did the same thing and just copied it and said, well, what the hell? I'll do it, too. And it it works. But you know what? You either have the integrity or you don't have it. Yeah. There has to be a motivation behind what you're trying to do. It's called a mission. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we have. We have a mission. How would you describe it? Transforming politics into service. Yeah. You can tell that you all are like, you care. Like you're not just trying to say what you need to say. Like it's so, you can really tell the bullshitters from the, uh, from like the authentic people. If you've just seen enough people kind of descend because they follow the same exact route. I mean, Dave Rubin, Tulsi Gabbard, like all these folks, like they, you, we've seen, and there's been enough examples to where it's easier to suss yeah. them out now. Like you can tell who's genuine. Like you've got to have that underlying philosophy. Otherwise you're not going to stay grounded. You all have that. I, I have that. Um, although like, I'm not like, a, a dyed in the wool like comedy or anything like that, but I, I, I adhere to socialism. So left, where is he? So you said far left, like I him. said, true mm. left, possibly far left. I don't I think said, he's I far left. Say. Okay, I well, mean, I've never think heard that far left. See, I don't know. In the American context, I think that we're we're all far left. Um, yeah, but in a European context, we're probably just like yeah yeah center left oh i'm not sure like for me i'm explicitly anti-capitalist like i i want zero capitalism i'm not a sock right. dem that at is all pretty left. i mean that's pretty left I'm but a, I'm are you favorite. open borders are you having like open borders i am but not necessarily like short term like there needs to be reforms um right you're you just open just like just take down all the borders and have no right because that in a capitalist context that would just lead to a lot more abuse but i do think that freedom of movement is a human right um so yeah i mean i i i don't like to be like the stereotype but yeah i am kind of pro open borders ultimately that's like where i want to be yeah i could go different directions on that because i see what you're saying Mm -hmm. in the current paradigm that we're in you can't have that it just wouldn't work like it's just not but if we lived in a situation and i'm with you like i that's the situation that i would want to live in wherein that would be so doable, then that would be ideal. Like, mm-hmm. so that I, I totally agree. Like, that's how I feel too. And I, I've always said it, like I do very well in a communal situation. Mm-hmm. I like having a uniform. I don't want to pick out what I have to wear. I am fine just doing, you know, what my job is contributing to my homestead. And, you know, like I would do very well in that kind of environment. So I get mm-hmm. it. I'm not, uh, I'm not anti-capitalist, but I'm anti the system that we're in. I am a I am in mm. favor of a hybrid system, which is a combination of capitalism and socialism, which is what works in Australia. It's what works in Scandinavia. It's what works in Germany. Even what works in the UK. Their workers are rising up too. They are. Um, but mm-hmm. what ultimately ends up happening in so many instances, it's kind of like this idea that oh well, I'll just be communist because human nature will not be denied, and it's kind of this mm-hmm. idea that. You have to have a counterbalance. There has to be a balance against unfettered corporate greed. 
And there has to be a counterbalance to the desire to want to create and be successful. And that is something that I think we can have. But much like the what I think is maybe the biggest unifying issue, there's there's a handful. But I would say a living wage and universal health care are definitely the two issues that almost universally people understand and agree upon. Because mm-hmm. No one wants to be dependent on the government to live, and no one wants for-profit middlemen in between them and their doctors. Mm-hmm. And so if we can come to that consensus on some of these major issues, no different than having a clean energy grid, what it will take to get there remains to be seen. But I think universally people understand we have to get off of coal and natural gas. Mm-hmm. Like that must be done. And there's too many obvious examples as to why. And when you're on the West Coast, as you know, and you have to deal with brush fire and all different things that mm-hmm. if we don't produce our carbon footprint. Yeah. We need the wild goats. Yeah, the wild goats, like in, like in Ireland. We, did you, we, did, we brought on this woman. She's a goat herder in Ireland. And um, she is, I mean, in a real like professional manner, like this is what she does. And they use the native goats to eat all the dead brush. And that's what their diet is. And Hmm. they've been having huge success in preventing wildfires with goats. Yes. Wow. I had her on because I had to find out more about this. And it was really interesting. And she said it absolutely is something that they could be doing in California. And that there were certain people that were already starting to like do that in that science community. It's mm-hmm. like a science community. But yeah, wildfires, go. Interesting. Yeah. We also have criminal justice reform. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I got to tell you, I've always been fairly conservative when it comes to crime and punishment in, in terms mm-hmm. of the punishment. But when it comes to the for-profit system we have in corrections in the United States, it's asinine, beyond mm-hmm. words. And I think the best argument against, let's say, the death penalty is the fact that the cost factor. Since when are you against the death penalty? I'm, I'm not saying that oh, I'm against okay. it. I actually believe in the right in, in the family's right to choose. That's, that's my. That's, that's my not point. how. That's okay, fair enough. Like, but that's, that's <laughs> freaking mean, right. Saudi Arabia that's or something mean, like hey, that. But we're not talking about beheading people here, but hey, fire you, why, why fire not? Wait, honestly, it, like I'm against the death penalty vehemently, Dang. but if I had to choose, I would okay. rather um, have the firing squad than be euthanized. If you see like what's been happening, <laughs> like if, if well, it came to that. You could still get the firing squad. I think it's in Utah. There's still oh, really? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still one of the options where you could choose Florida. We had the choice between Florida had electric chair, I think longer than anybody. That's yeah. so barbaric. I yeah, well, look, an unusual punishment is absolutely. I yeah. always my entire life opposed to capital punishment. Always. It's yeah. Of, yeah. Same. I've got to ask you this, though, because this was a huge debate when I was younger. So in Oregon, we have death with dignity. And this this has been like popping up more. Um, So I'm curious, what do you all think of that? Because I actually do support death with dignity. Oh, Oh my God. I think that for me personally, and I say this all the time, like my goal in life is to be old in a place that has recreational cannabis and death with dignity. Yeah. problem with death with dignity well this just goes to the whole healthcare system in general is it's very expensive but Mm -hmm. to me personally here's my here's my thought if i'm get at a point in my life where i'm being presented with hospice i want the option for the happy pills i want Mm -hmm. the option for the happy pills in the moment so if you know and you already have to be like impending terminal to even qualify for 
hospice. So it's not mm-hmm. like you don't have the capability of knowing that. So no, I don't think it's a slippery slope to killing the mentally challenged or disabled people or people mm-hmm. that are just unhappy and don't want to live. No, I don't think it's a slippery slope. I think mm-hmm. if you would offer someone hospice, then you should be able to offer them the happy pills and let them go when they want to go. Mm-hmm. And maybe even yeah. Or hospice in some cases, like what was her name? Brittany, the one who got went moved to Oregon. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember her name, but yeah, I know the case you're talking about. Yeah. She had to move here because she was denied uh, death with dignity. I don't remember which state she was from, but yeah. California. And she she was from California. Okay. Yeah. And she had to move up there. And no, she wasn't in a position where you would put her in hospice, but she knew that her undoing would be a stroke that would leave her so incapacitated that she mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to make that choice. Right. Like yeah. that's enough for me. Like that's, that's the, there's, I think we could agree on a reasonable threshold, but then yes, mm-hmm. I am a full supporter of that. Like to me, Kevorkian was a hero. You know what I mean? Like this, mm-hmm. that was, you know, granted also a grandstander, but still, you know, like that was important. And if we were in a yeah. situation and again, just be, th- you know, for all the problems that we do have in this country, be thankful you live in one of the, absolute best states in the country because oh yeah what goes oh. on down here in florida i mean you look back on it now and you would think the terry shivo situation would have you would have hoped that it would have led to more of the death with dignity conversation that needed mm-hmm. to happen at that time i should ask you to send me some trippy bars you guys get those really awesome chocolate trippy bars the biggest problem with oh see I, I don't eat those Edible? But I could send them to you. I could find no, them. No, because you know what I'm talking. It's psilocybin, is what it is. It's, it's oh, medicine. oh, okay, okay. You guys now have legalized psilocybin. Yeah, we also and decriminalized all drugs in 2020. I, also, it's not like fully implemented. Like we're not going to know if that was good or bad until like years down the line. Uh, same like Portugal. Like they didn't know until like 10 years after. But I'm very optimistic. Spain did it, Spain did it <clears throat> before Portugal. Oh, did they really? Yes. And it was not a big thing. That mm. was just how it was. Like they, ju- that was just normal there. And the results of it are huge. Um, mm. They have, and in both of those places, the amount of overdose deaths, the amount of people that actually suffer from addiction, all of those numbers are infinitely better, infinitely better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so insane. It's common sense. Like we know oh, yeah. that that's the case, um, but it's not as profitable. But those are also right. places that have health care. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Yeah, there's it's it's funny because like when when it comes down to it, like we all agree on a ton of stuff, but there's like little disagreements here and there. Like there's soak Dems and then like anti-capitalists. But like if you go on Twitter, like these are non-starters for people where it's like, oh, you're a, you're a shit lib if you don't agree with me on these things. It's so bizarre right. to me. Like people have to be able like. What I care about is consistency and there's so much common ground with people on the left that like, I don't understand how it leads to factionalization. I think a lot of this is probably like synthetic and it's fueled by like these huge grifters that try to like create these little like insular communities. But like, I think these conversations are so important. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? There's a lot of crossover with progressives and libertarians. You just have to identify the correct issues. If you focus on LGBTQ, if you focus on abortion, if you focus on wedge issues, you know, it's, it's, I have, I am, I am a very lucky person. I am 
a straight white male, there are certain advantages that I have in this world that I'm very well aware of. But you live in Florida, so that gets like it takes Thank away. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. It's fair. Fair point. Fair <laughs> and, you know, you're a you're a very assured person. I can tell you're very confident in your own skin, and you recognize the fact that there are people in this world and in this country that will never accept you. And mm-hmm. you know what? That's their problem. Who the fuck are they? Who needs I'm them? People that don't accept fuck the fact them. that he's gay. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. That's their problem. I'll Hurry. beat them up, Mike. No, well, if anybody, I'll beat their ass. Mike, if anybody messes with you, they're on our shit list. That, that well, I, I will, I will, I will send you their way. Then I'll, I have to send you to some of my, uh, my family members, my aunts and uncles. They're a little you bit have uh, still that are still kind of like not that, accepting in your own family. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. I wasn't, I was a little bit lucky because I have a cousin who came out before me. Uh, but him and I are very different because he's a lot more like reserved and kind of keeps to himself. And for me, it's like, uh, I'm gay. If you don't accept me, go fuck yourself. We're never going to speak again. Whereas he's much more like seemingly uh, accepting of that. So, like, I have aunts who I was very close to who I straight up just won't talk to. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Because like, uh, and I, I, I've told this to people before, not to get on a, like a different tangent, but like when you're, when you're really young and you come out, there's this power imbalance where you're kind of like, you feel like you're on your hands and knees and you're like begging them. Oh my God, please accept me. Right. But for me now, like as an adult where I don't need them, I don't have to worry. Like I'm not financially attached to them. I don't have to like rely on them for emotional support. It's like, oh, you don't accept me. Well, then I reject you. Fuck you. I'm the one who gets to make that decision. Not you. Um, and so that's why I try to like tell young LGBTQ plus people that like, you know, if you're in this position to where you feel rejected or you can't come out, this is all temporary. Like that changes. It does actually get better to where things, I mean, society is always going to reject you. You're always going to come out whenever you start a new job and it's always a headache and obnoxious. And you run into these people that all of a sudden they ghost you because it's like, Oh, I added you on Facebook, new coworker. And I see that you have pictures with your husband. Oh, this is weird. Like you're always going to run into that. But you, you, if you've gone through it enough, it just doesn't affect you. And you, you learn to like, it, it almost makes you stronger in a, in a weird way, right? Because you kind of like, yeah. you, you develop this thick skin. I think also what I just got from that, I had this epiphany that in some ways you're fortunate in that you really just by your existence weed out the assholes. Like, yeah. Like you have a sort of like, and not just you, but anybody that would be in, let's say a marginalized group of people, you within your own group, you're weeding out the asshole. You don't even Mm -hmm. need to have an interaction. It's just sort of self uh, cleaning, if you will, in some the people that are those people, they're not your people. So you just might not have ever known that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we and just worst- go along and don't know until and I learned this when running, by the way, not to compare mm-hmm. running for office with with being in the LGBT. <laughs> but but you learn who your people are and who they're mm-hmm. not. And, yeah. and when you when you have something that you are persecuted for, you get to know who your people are. Yeah. And it takes a That's lot. That's a great of point. And you really mm-hmm. did an, a phenomenal job. I mean, like I said, you're one of my absolute favorite people in politics because oh, thank you, so you much. went for the throat against Buttigieg, and rightfully so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't like him. People were afraid to do it because he's mm-hmm. gay. And it's like, it I wasn't afraid to do I'm it. I'm just saying, okay. it doesn't matter that he's gay. It matters that he's a corporate whore. That's yeah. what matters. Yeah. It matters that he absolutely decimated South Bend as their mayor. 
and anyone who pretends like he did a good well, job. Well, but he's a nice a, gay boy. And that was the appetizer. <laughs> Guess what the entree is? As the Department of Transportation Secretary, I thought he was doing a colossal failure of a job before the railroad uh, debacle, uh, strike debacle just happened. And mm-hmm. if you want to know what the dessert's going to be, Pete Buttigieg is going to run for president yeah. in 2028. And oh, don't even, happen. I can't think about no, that. Oh. They're Manchurian, but like to yeah. me, he's about <clears throat> as like, in, like, I guess relevant to the LGBTQ community as Kamala probably is to the African-American or black community. Yeah, did you right? see his approval among queer people? Um, right. There was one LGBTQ plus poll, and I think he was like three or four with like Warren and Bernie at the tippy top, essentially. Right. Um, people and can look, see through him. People can see through him. And oh, he's yeah. terrible. The fact that, actually, and I've said it a bunch of times, the fact that he's gay is the only kind of thing I like about him. I hate to say it's it. It's an endearing like, aspect, yeah. Kind of, yeah, because, yeah, it's the only thing. But that's not sufficient for me to vote for you. Mm-hmm. No. It is for wealthy suburbanite liberals in places like Lake Oswego who do not have a care in the world. And the thing that matters to them is their feelings. And it's not about whether or not what they're voting on is going to help people, you know. Well, has he done anything to like advance LGBTQ causes? Like, I don't actually see him as doing any. Is he representative of that community in such a way? I don't think so. I mean, visibility is the only thing that you can credit him for. But I mean, like, look, the, the whole what irritated me about um, some of the libs who support someone just based on their identity is that, like, that's the only way that they can see progress being made. It's like, right. you know, if you're, if you're economically well off, then nothing that these uh, you know politicians do to advance worker rights is going to affect you personally. So you can feel like we're making progress if we check more boxes where it's like, okay, we have the first uh, black president, maybe we can get a first gay president when that's not like, there's a difference between descriptive representation and substantive representation. Descriptive representation means that you just get more people who look like you demographically. You have more people from uh, different communities. So if there's like say 5% gay people, uh, in, in society, there should be 5% gay people in Congress. But substantive yeah. representation means that you have people who are willing to advocate for that particular community, yeah. which can be accomplished even if you're not part of the community. So like when it comes to Pete Buttigieg, it's like, for me, true equality is not like these PC uh, PMC liberals not touching him because he's gay. Like true equality is you not even considering that he's gay. Right. Like that's true equality. That's when we've made it, in my opinion, because then it's like, Oh, you're not thinking about it. Like, I don't want you to think when I bring my husband with me, like, oh, there's your husband. He's gay. I want you to not even register. Like, I want it to be like, oh, there's your, you know what I mean? So that to me is like true equality. So, um, yeah, that's, that's why I, I'm not a fan of like anyone who tries to weaponize identity politics. Um, but identity politics matters, but like we see, like, at least for, from our perspective on the left, we're we're so much better, more more persuade. Uh, we could persuade more people than Democrats, so they don't have anything else. You know what I mean? The the only thing that they can do is try to shut us down by saying yeah. that we're like, uh, um, you know, we're homophobic or whatever. It, I don't know if you all remember. So like earlier this year, I got put on blast by J.K. Rowling, 
And um, I forgot what it was in particular, but there was a bunch of them who called me a homophobe. And I don't remember why. Um, I thought she's considered to be like turfy and, and, and very like, isn't she like one of those like very anti-trans? Isn't that? She's very, very like deeply, deeply transphobic. So I did call her out for being transphobic trash. But there, uh, there. I mean, of course, people are saying that I was sexist, but um, I don't remember what it was. I wish I could remember. Like one of them, I remember I spotlighted it because it was so hilarious. They called me a homophobe. And back in the Pete Buttigieg primary days, they they said the same thing as well. It's like, oh, I've got my Uno re- reverse card, so don't make me pull that bitch out. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like the weaponization of identity politics because, like, I I'd rather talk about substance. Right. I think it's it's right. unless you're actually discriminatory, it doesn't matter. Like I, I it'd be absurd to think that like if Jen, if you, for example, disagreed with me and you called me a dickhead, uh, <laughs> that I'd be like, oh, you would call a gay man a dickhead. Like, no, it, there's got to be a reason why you called me a dickhead. You know what I mean? Like, so that's I'm all about trying to like elevate substance. Um, and, and you know what? You bring up a really excellent point. I'm a self-loathing Jew. If you're a homophobe, is that the same thing? Like, I dare to criticize Israel. So I'm a self-loathing Jew. You get it. Bernie too. Yeah, Mike's a lapsed Catholic. So there you go. You got you definitely <laughs> break it. And and the one thing that I do there's two points I want to make before we close out is. Uh, the, the first one is, you know, everyone thinks that Trump is the biggest problem in the GOP. No, he's not. The biggest problem in the GOP is the evangelical right that has yeah. captured that party. Yeah. And that's why somebody like Mike Pence was within a COVID disaster of being the president of the United States. And I don't care mm-hmm. how long he would have been in that office. Not good. He would have had it for a while. And he is the type of person that Ted Cruz wishes he could be in terms of a theocratic politician. Gross. Because that power was right there for the taking. And that is why you hear the language that is used in so many of these places. That's why somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, as, as sick as it is to think about Pete Buttigieg running for president again, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to run for president at some point. So I agree. you have to listen to the things that these individuals say. They're dog whistles that they're throwing at these particular individuals. Mm -hmm. And this is where I really try to court as many libertarians to what we're doing as possible. Yeah. Because libertarians, the true libertarians, believe in the Constitution. They believe in the separation of church and state. Whatever you believe is your business. Don't you even think about trying to push it on me. Mm -hmm. When George Bush was doing this, particularly in his second term. It was so disgusting. And the fact that not enough people were willing to say anything about it. And then you remember when the, the Democrats ran for president starting in 06, 07, and you have Hillary Clinton on Chris Hayes saying, no, I don't believe in gay marriage. It's like, yeah, this is the type of shit that we really have to be diligent about because the wedge. Issues As in you were- don't believe it, it should be. You don't believe it should be like somehow they're the moral authority. I never understood any of that. To be, I honest. held a grudge against her because of that, because uh, right before I she know. ran was when Chelsea got married. And it's just like this slap in the face, like, oh, I see you went to your daughter's wedding, but you're denying my wedding. Like I'm watching my nieces and nephews get married before I can get married. Like, fuck you. So I did. Hold, I did hold a grudge against that. Like that is actual discrimination. Yeah, no, I, I, as well, you should hold a grudge against mm-hmm. her. And there's, well, and we have a myriad of reasons why we could all hold a true, grudge against true. Clinton. It's, yeah. There's no shortage of things. But I remember when I was in law school, one of the things I wrote a, like a study semester on 
was civil, comparing civil unions and gay marriage. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was only you had civil unions in Vermont and Hawaii. And that this was like fairly new because this was like, OK, I'm a little old. This was like in 98. Um, and so I remember writing it then. And at the time, it spoke to me that, well, if, if, if you're OK with gay people having a civil union, then what difference does it make to you if they're married? Like, I didn't understand why were you making these distinguishing things? Like, does that make you sleep better at night? Like you think, mm-hmm. therefore, it's not tainting the sanctimony because of your make believe. Mi- it's, it's the mental, mythical sky it's being the religion. I don't know. That is religion. Well, that's, that's that's what it comes down to. That's really what it comes down to because otherwise, because it isn't the, the, the rights of it. Most people seemed okay with that, right? Like this was what I was studying. Like I just found it so interesting, but yet once you say marriage, well, that just can't be. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking because the mythical sky being said so to you, Mm -hmm. like, is there some sort of like, this is why I like, I don't understand why that is, but it's also why I tend to have more sympathy for conservatives and liberals because a lot of these people grow up in communities where the church is the center of the world that they live in. The yeah. people are taught to believe that yeah. what the Bible says is more important than what the Constitution and your education say. Mm-hmm. And that has reached somewhat of a, of a of a breaking point in many ways because a lot of people realize that religion is losing its hold on this country. It's had it for a yeah. very long time. But – it's start, the cracks are there. People are especially, you know, millennials and especially Gen Z. Like they really have no patience for this whatsoever. You can be whatever you want to be. You can live whatever life you want to live. But this idea, you saw what just happened with Ted Cruz's daughter. Ted Cruz's yeah. daughter is bisexual. Good and she her. apparently tried to commit suicide. Okay, but in, in all fairness, I, anybody of any sexual orientation that would be Ted Cruz's child might end up in that way i'm just yeah it's not it's not easy right that life is not hard i'm just and and not that not to discount whatever she went through but i'm just saying that's not exactly a good like that's not a control group no but the worst Mm -hmm. part about ted cruz the worst part about him is i don't think he believes any of it i think he's probably an extremely normal rational person who is playing a role and he's playing it well and it served him well and he's Mm -hmm. got a re-election coming up in two years and lord knows how the hell he's going to play that shit because it's going to, I mean, now it's, you, you don't know how he's going to use his daughter for political cannon fodder. And you better believe he'll, he will do it. That yeah. of all the people that will, you know, it, that's, that to me is that. that I just don't understand why that's even news. Like, why do I, why do I care about what Ted Cruz's daughter She is? tried to kill herself is what I'm saying. Right. No, no, no. But like whether or not she's bisexual. Like, huh. why is that? Okay, I understand she tried to kill herself. That I understand is newsworthy. Well, apparently she but, did like a TikTok video or something like that that mm-hmm. relates to the fact that, she, you know, her father um, says these terrible things oh, okay. about- So you know, she made you know, the link between those Correct. two things. Okay, Correct. that's what yeah. I wasn't understanding. Like, why like, are we talking about- You know, it's all, it, I would have I would have admired her even more if she came out and said, I just want you all to know that my father doesn't believe any of this shit. He just says it to basically throw meat to his- Well, you don't know that's his, the case. That's your theory. It is my theory. I could be wrong. She might know but, better than you. She might have a better inkling as to what kind of real, if he's a true douche or does he just play one on TV? Just keep your religion the hell out of my business. I am very civil libertarian. When yeah, it comes to wait, that stuff. I don't like any of that. I nonsense. wish people, you know, live and let live, let people do what they're going to do. If they're not hurting anybody, 
It's none of your damn. Come business. to our festivus, though. That's yeah, come to the festivus. Everybody the should check out the festivus. And make that's sure that's my religion. And make sure if you are not currently subscribed to the Humanist Report on YouTube, you get your butts over there. Yeah, and guys. make sure that you. Yeah, are. what are you doing? And let do it. And the leftist mafia on what? What channel is that on? Just all of our channels. <laughs> right, it's on so YouTube and all the. Yeah, I, I posted. Um, I'll probably start streaming it. But um, yeah, I'll post it um, the day after usually. Um, so yeah, you can watch it usually two hours ish. But um, How's yeah, David doing because I, you know, he had the, there's the baby, which is now mm. probably a toddler, and as he's settling in, there was a I lot of so. overwhelming. I mean, he seems like he is adapting really well. You can tell yeah. he's a great father, I'm but sure. you know that he's like lacking sleep. But I I can't tell. Like he's still super on point. Um, he's just. He, he brings his A-game every single time. It's incredible. He sets the bar so high. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's awesome. Mike, we can't thank you enough thank for Thank you for on. coming and chatting. It's always uh, so good to see you. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, it's always fun shooting the shit with you all. Um, yeah, anytime. Yeah. Well, uh, before you go, uh -oh, say he has, he has to bring out the last <laughs> Mike, Oh, uh, there we go. Thank you for all the wonderful work that you do. If you're not currently subscribed to the Humanist Report on YouTube, make sure you get over there. Leave a like, comment. He does a lot of wonderful work. And I wouldn't be where I am today without all the wonderful videos he's put out over the years, making sure <laughs> that you support the political revolution for a better tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, Bernie. Great to see you, brother. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Take care, folks. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Okay, Mike is one of the best. He's lovely. No question about it. He's lovely. So... On Monday, hold on, I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. We have the more perfect union guys coming on. Excellent. And that will definitely get into railroad. Yes, 100%. We'll, railroad. I mean, look, my in my ideal universe, I'm telling you, the, the railroad workers, the, the FedEx workers, and the UPS workers. And the, I don't even, there's never, it's not like there's rumbling about FedEx, but we were recently out canvassing and we came up across a FedEx truck and the, the driver was getting out. And they don't have air conditioning in their trucks either. I thought that that was really just like a UPS thing, that, which was why they were so, you know, one of their issues. But no, apparently it's just a general worker thing. So I want all of them to strike at the same time. Mm, That's what I want. The railroad, UPS, and FedEx all striking at the same time over the holidays. We'll talk about that on the Festivus for the rest of us. I, let me tell you, as inconvenient as it would be, and it would suck for all of us, make no mistake. Sure. But that would suck workers, for all of us. Workers still don't it would be worth recognize it. their power. Yeah. They have it. I'd be, I would be power. very pleased to to have whatever inconveniences and hardships that and would be. I know make. we have friends in the chat that are on the conservative side um, that ultimately think that the reason um, that we can't have these strikes and stuff is that everything's going to automation. <clears throat> if it's going to go automated, then you have to try to take your power now while you have it. Because all the power is in the hands of the, the shareholders and management. The goal is to have a serfs class across the board in the United States. And the more we refuse to fight back against this, the closer we're going to get to it. So if you like our content and are so inclined, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you could become one of our very special people, a Patreon of the show, a patron of the show. Will That's and Grace right made Joe Biden support game. I'm large. not sure I believe. Well, Tony I, I might know, know a thing or two about that. That's true. But if you are feeling more generous, as you can see, our choice for 2024, Mansion Parliamentarian, Parliamentarian baby. Sticker, $10 a month will get you these two wonderful babies, which is certainly appreciated. But 
If you're feeling really, really generous, I'm wearing and it. you would be so inclined to become a $25 a month patron, we have a few of those right now. Here comes the sun. It's the, the generational change jersey. Tri-blend, soft as can possibly be, and would highly recommend. It could be a wonderful holiday gift. It could be a great holiday gift. Something to gift. think about. It and could course, be a great holiday we gift. We unfortunately do not currently have a small but we'd love neighbor, one. but we're working on it. We We'd love one, especially soon. if you're a taco truck. Yes. Well, we'll go we'll go out and find a taco truck. I would love to have the the lobster truck. That would be the great one. No, he's mean. No, 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 no. The other one. Oh, not okay. the mean, not the mean one. <laughs> he's mean. There was a let me tell you, <laughs> when we were canvassing for Jen in 2020, we didn't come across a lot of jerks. No. But this guy, he oh, was the biggest a- jerk of them all. I'm not gonna and name names. Not gonna name names. But all I can say is. It wouldn't have surprised me if he had a gun. Like that is definitely the vibe that I got from this dude was that he had a gun. So <laughs> that that was definitely uh, that vibe. Yeah, that I Paul, I see what you're saying. Paul's talking about like you were very religious and you met certain people in college, gay people, and then it like opens your world and it's true. And I'm just very fortunate that I grew up with parents that that was just, typical like they had gay friends like it wasn't a thing like and it wasn't something we talked about like my uncle was gay we never really talked about it but he had a boyfriend and that was his person like you know like and it never it just what it wasn't i will i I will say to metalopoly and we certainly appreciate your support on the channel uh believe it or not yeah there's a lot of voters that are conservative but not all conservatives are religious people I didn't say sky daddy. I said mythical sky being. Yeah. So I believe in the possibility of a higher power, but organized religion is a scam. Like you have to, you like, let's just be honest about it. If it makes you feel comfortable and it's a good community building, I am totally with that. And I totally get that. But to suggest that somebody lived in a whale for 40 years that somebody parted the seas. Well, you're talking, I mean, there's Bible stories, but what I'm talking, I mean, we're talking about theism in general, but what's so interesting is, so I remember at one point I was looking at, I think it was Ricky Gervais, who's one of like our representatives in the atheist community. And he was on a show, talk show. And I think he might've even been talking to Colbert. And he was asking him, how is it that you don't believe in a God? And it's, and the answer is, okay, so there's how many gods in the world? Hundreds and hundreds of them. 4,000. Okay. Thousands. Thousands. And and you, whoever you are out there in the in the universe, yeah. um, you don't believe in 3,999 of them, right? Like you only believe in yours. You believe in your God, even though there's lots of different gods. So how I say how I believe, and this is what he's, Ricky Gervais said, is now imagine you believe that and just add one more. <laughs> that's That's what it is. And it's, it's really, I don't feel bad. And I, you know what, if anybody who is voting strictly based on whether or not I believe in the Supreme being, that's just nothing I can control. Metalopoly, same energy for Islam. I don't care what anyone believes in. You can believe and I will always respect, will always respect what you believe in. Keep it the hell out of politics. What do you mean? What, what does he mean? He somehow he doubts it. Yeah, I I don't want to. To me, all religion is the same. 
Yeah. Like it is, it's the same to me. You have every um, right believe whatever yeah. you want to believe. And There's it's a nothing spectrum. Like, no problem with that. Like, here's the thing. It is a spectrum to me in terms of like what I find to be like kooky, right? Sure. Like, you know, like the Scientologists. Yeah, no, that's just a whole other thing. Like that's some guy wrote a sci-fi book and we all, the aliens and whatever. And I don't know. False, right? Absolutely. Again, believe whatever you want to believe and respect people's beliefs. I just keep but it out. It's not my business. But the second your religion crosses into my ability to do things in terms of the state, then we have a problem. Yeah. And that does happen. And that's really where it gets offensive to me. Otherwise, it would yeah. never even come up for me. I am very respectful. Yeah. I don't like people, I am a very it's live in, and let live and, person. And this is the hypocrisy that you see very often in the conservative side of politics, where they talk constantly about the rule of law and the constitution and things like that. It specifically says in the very first amendment of the separation of church and state. I could read it. Have you ever read it? I've read it lots of times. I have it highlighted. Hold on. Well, let's highlight. Let's, let's Here, talk about I'll talk to you about this. Here. But it's all in one. It's a very run on sentence. That's the problem with the First Amendment. It's, it's, it's a run on sentence. OK. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Notice how that's the first thing in the First Amendment. Which I thought nothing we were is, a Judeo-Christian country. Right. Jim. No. And then after that, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and hey, to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's to you, Amy Coney Barrett, who didn't know the five rights in the First Amendment. How about President Biden with that legislation violating the right to of people to peacefully assemble, the right to strike, the right to protest? Well, Does they it? don't care about that. Well, I'm They need their Christmas presents on time. I'm just saying. So the whole point is, is that the anti-establishment of religion is the first part of the First Amendment. It's sure. not like an afterthought. Like that was the primary thing that they wanted to do. I don't mind whatever people want to believe. I, I don't mean, you know, I it to me, it's just live and let live, man. Yeah. And I just don't want people's religion dictating uh, my politics or my person. That's where we start to have a problem. And that is all religion-based. All of that, all of the energy, all of the fight on the, on the anti-choice side, all of it is religion-based. Yes. And to me, the fact that we even consider that in any context of legislation is outrageous. And that's what- Because it is all religion-based. It is. It's not, it's not science-based. It's not legal-based. It's not constitution-based. It's not even rational. It's just completely religion-based. And so when more than half the country is losing rights based on a very small minority's people, religion, and belief in their final judgment of said mythical sky being, yeah, it infuriates me. That's why. So, yes. I'm with you. So <laughs> we appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoyed the live The right stream. to go to church during a COVID. Now, here's where I'm very civil libertarian, Metalopoly, because I truthfully, I'm not a supporter of lockdowns, bans, or mandates. I find those things to be very infringing on civil liberties. People want to so, lock themselves down? That's their business. I, and I think, and I never would, like, honestly, if people want to have their church and go to their church. Now, we could start having a debate on whether or not I think churches should pay taxes. Hint, hint, yes. Uh, yeah, they should. So that's a separate issue. But I don't believe in forcing um, 
churches to remember the separation. You know, remember the separation of church close. and state to not have politics and religion intersecting. But of course, we all know they do, and that should take away their tax exempt status. That's it. You want to play in the political game, which they've been yeah. doing forever. Uh, well, they run like businesses. Let's be real. Do. They run like businesses. Yeah. Their executives, their their leaders, um, live like it's a business. And I'm not saying that it's all necessarily a scam. I think there are some well-intended people in some of those different roles in different communities. I, I don't really know all of it, but it should, it's, it's, let's be real and call it what it is. They need to be paying taxes. People like uh, Austin and, and these people get away without paying the taxes. Ultimate, the ultimate grift. Right. Like ultimate. that there's something, there's something off there people. That's not, that's just not right. So yeah. Guys, you've been a fantastic chat. Shout out to Carla Harrington. What a tremendous supporter. Paul, thank you so much for the super chat as well. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed. Obviously, uh, a big week next week. Uh, we got a really interesting two weeks ahead of us. We've got more Perfect Union coming on Monday. We have our next segment of Deconstructing Zionism with Rabbi uh, Brant Rosen and- um, And Rosalind Pacheski. Rosalind Pacheski. Uh, there's two books that we're gonna be talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just continuing the discussion on that, because unlike what we, we were talking about, that are, there's content creators that basically allow whatever gets clicks to dictate their content, I still haven't done that. Like I still, for it's been more than two years, and basically it's whatever I think is interesting and I think people should know about and or, you know, it's a great book or whatever it is. That's what we're going to talk about, like things that are important. That following Monday, we will have Chelsea Manning. And then finally, on Friday, the 23rd, we'll be our Festivus for the rest of us. So That's what's happening. Lots of wonderful stuff coming up. We hope you enjoyed. Remember to smash that like button, like, subscribe, maybe become a patron. You never know. We would certainly appreciate it. But we are very appreciative. You were all here this evening. It's been a very lively chat. Uh, you guys are great. And we'll see you. You'd love to debate me. It's so funny because I don't really, like, I'm not a debater. I'm just not a debater. I don't want to argue with people. It's funny because I'm a litigator, but like I don't, or I have been a litigator. Like I don't want to argue with people. I want to, we have these same set of you facts. You still have an understanding. Well, it, well, it depends on what it's about. Like there's certain things that are just, I'm not debating. I'm not debating universal healthcare. I'm not debating whether what I have a choice to do with my person. I'm not, deba I'm not debating those things because to me, that's just not... That's just silly at this point. So I don't ever see things to me that are really valid debate material. Like there are certain things. Open borders would be a good debate. I'm not for open borders. You, I right. understand that, but that would be an interesting debate. I'm sure. just saying it would be an interesting debate. Like there are certain things that to me would make for an interesting discussion and debate. But otherwise, I don't want to argue with people. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm Thanks, a lover, Scott. not a fighter. Yeah, but he's also a fighter. So don't get any ideas. Thanks for everything. Appreciate your support. See you. Bye. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.